Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome back to Everyday Theology. This time around, I have the honor of Super famous, Dove Award winning. Oh. Uh, everyone knows him. Everyone loves him. And I had the privilege, nay, the honor to have him as a roommate for a while. Uh, my good friend, Evan Kraft. How you doing, Evan? Yeah, you saved my butt. <laughs> I don't know how, but sure. Yeah, oh, just to have uh, a house. I moved to Lakeland and thought that where I was moving was a decent size. And it was so tiny. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to last four months here. <laughs> I forgot about that part of it. I thought you just wanted to live with me because you wanted to be my friend. But now I see you were just using well, me all that, along. I think that really made us better friends. It did. Oh, for sure. You got to figure out that you have a love-hate relationship with dogs. Yes. <laughs> and I have my dog right down here. He's sleeping. Um, but yeah, so Evan, we've, we've been friends for quite a few years now. Um, I was teaching at a university at the time. You were a grad student at the university um, doing a degree in, I think, ministerial leadership, right? Um, yeah. At the time. And we had a lot of conversations, a lot of discussions, especially in kind of your world of music in my world of theology and really kind of seeing things from different angles. But before we get to kind of the topic of today, which is really like the need, the missing need of theology and worship, but, but more specifically, not just singing theology, like how do we do this in a better way? Right. Um, before we get there, why don't you let my listeners know a little bit about you kind of who you are, where you've come from, why you do music, uh, why you do worship specifically as music and the like. Yeah, well, um, I'm from Los Angeles, California, from a suburb, Thousand Oaks, and none of my family speaks Spanish, but I um, was obsessed with it in high school and ended up uh, getting a degree in Spanish, studying in Spain, um, moved back home, read a book by Reinhard Bonnke, a German evangelist, um, and just I wanted nothing else but a life of adventure and a life of faith. And so I went to Mexico, had an amazing encounter with God. Um, I say amazing, but it was very humbling because I, I really went thinking that I was, um, you know, the next Billy Graham. And it was very humbling to realize that I was not. I didn't even speak the language <laughs> very well. Um, but through a process, you know, I, I heard the Lord just say to me, if you want to 
if you want to be of any use here, you need to learn to love my people. So that was a really big thing for me um, was just learning to see people through God's eyes. Um, and I definitely think there's a lot of arrogance and pride that God had to break. And it's, it's hard for me to sometimes um, to just admit that. And so I continue, continue with music and I, and I found kind of a niche serving smaller churches that didn't have lights sound and so i was just doing acoustic versions and it kind of it exploded on youtube um and so i was doing stuff from you know from hillsong from bethel from everybody writing my own songs and just ended up getting my whole band some of my best friends and traveling around latin america and um my parents were pastors and so i learned music um to be able to lead worship for the youth group and um you know so fast forward i'm i'm traveling around latin america and I realized that there was a need. I loved school. I loved learning. I, I, I love to challenge myself. Um, and so I decided to go back to school and I was doing um, school online when somebody from SEU where you were teaching um, invited me to go over there, give me a scholarship, which I said, you're going to make this cheaper. Why not? <laughs> um, <laughs> and you're going to fly me out there and pay me to lead worship. Then Yes, 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 yes. Um, and so I went out, I met you that first trip. And yeah, then I decided uh, at one point that I would go and actually finish the degree in person. And so that's how we ended up uh, living together. Mm-hmm. Good times. I miss, I miss, uh, I do miss that. I, oh, well, I, I say I miss that. I don't. I'm married and have a kid now, and I like that much better than you, Evan. I still love you, but your, your child is beautiful. And now you're married. So, you know what I do miss though? It's like, okay, if you're going to take some theology classes, it's so convenient to live with a professor <laughs> of theology because, because so many people are afraid that when you take theology classes, you're going to lose your salvation, right? Like when you go, mm-hmm. don't go, people literally told me, don't go to seminary because you will not be a Christian by the end of it. Oh yeah. And I was like, wow, there's a big disconnect in that like i mean if if my pursuit of jesus is going to lead me away from jesus (laughs) then then what do i do and man i mean honestly it was it was it was great because there's you know you have an hour and a half three hours whatever for a theology class i would i would have more questions than my professor could answer and every question led to an Four more questions. Mm-hmm. So after three hours of asking um, uh, Professor Green questions, I would go home and ask you questions. I was <laughs> like, this doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And I often told you it doesn't make sense, but we'll talk about it. Like, I don't have the perfect answers, right? But I think that that for me, what's interesting about you, Evan, is that I've been around a lot of worship. I mean, you know that, you know, been around you, but been doing worship and helping people and yada, yada, yada. Right. And what's interesting, kind of, if I look at your journey, is that you took so seriously the reality of, I remember conversations we had, how can you, how could you at all write a theology or a worship song without having some kind of questions on theology without actually engaging with it, right? Where I've been in rooms where worship songs have been written 
that were just like, let's just find out what rhymes or let's just kind of like put together these phrases that we know are going to work and people are going to connect to. And, you know, you, I was always very thankful because you always kind of thought I can't actually do worship music without doing theology, without thinking about it, without engaging with it, without kind of even, even times where you would write songs and then just ask me, does this, am I kind of like off here, like theologically and not that I'm some kind of like check, you know, yeah, yeah, you did it. You're right. But I helped you process, I hope, and at least kind of gave some like, eh, maybe not the best way or eh, that may not be kind of what I would do. But for me, the question that I have for you, especially as someone who is still in that world, right? Still recording, still traveling, post-COVID, back to, back to it, right? Traveling all the time right. um, and still writing, right? Why was it that, you, like, where was it that you first kind of felt the need to go, this is insufficient as it relates to worship and there needs to be more engagement with theology? Well, I think that if I go back in my career, I had the opportunity to play at an event in Bogota, Colombia for like, honestly, I have no idea how many people were there. There were numbers of 30,000 up to 80,000 people. Wow. And, you know, they like were counting people with a drone and saying, this is how many people per square meter. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is, you know, I can't, I don't even know what a bigger crowd would look like. Hmm. You know, like at some point after like 10, 20,000 people, you can't see any further and yeah. just like a mass of people. And so to me as a musician and an artist, like if my goal was to do bigger, better things, I, I kind of felt like I hit the ceiling. Yeah. And, and, you know, we had some other opportunities to do things like that, which we ended up not taking because of some friends, weddings and other things. And, and I think that was like, a lot of wisdom um, from mentors that told me not to take every opportunity, but, you know, things that you wouldn't regret. Yeah. And so, so getting to that point though, that was like, okay, well, well I'm 25 years old at this point, this is five years ago when we did this event. What am I leaving? Hmm. What, like, you know, there, what am I leaving with people? And yeah. At that point, I had a lot of questions. I think I, I think I understand a little bit more of what I, what my purpose in music is today. But I, you know, I thought, okay, I can, I can find ear candy. I can find pleasant rhymes and things to sing about that sound good. And like, there's even a lot. There's a lot of pastors that like they find things that sound good and like you know, I think there's a very big difference between a motivational speaker and a pastor. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, like there's a point where I don't care if you really like what I'm saying. Hmm. You know, if I like, as a, as a songwriter, I have to think this, like as a, you know, and, and so in Spanish, they call you a psalmist, not like a leader de alabanza. Usually it's like huh. you're a salmista. And I think about the Psalms and I think about how uncomfortable it is to, to read God, you've abandoned me. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have left me destitute. You have like, and so I think you and I talked a lot about that, like lamentations and the laments. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, and like, I don't like, I don't sit around being like, oh, I can't wait to write a lament. Um, <laughs> right. It's like, those are hard moments when you do. Yeah. Um, but, but creating, you know, like, why do we do what we do? One, I love to create. I love to write music. I love to play music. I love to perform all of that stuff. But the difference between a Christian artist and a mainstream artist is your, is your message. Hmm. I mean, I could take any rhythm. I could take, you know, I could do metal music. I could do reggaeton. I could do um, polka. But if I take my message, what am I trying to communicate through it? And that's right. one of the reasons that worship music is pretty simple because you really want people to focus on the lyrics. Um, I want to communicate a message. And so yeah. I realized like if, if that is, if my goal was to be the best musician, I should go and practice. Yeah. If my goal was to be a good communicator of truth, I needed to pursue truth. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what What's kind of back to that. And, and of course, let me clarify, right. For this conversation, when we talk about worship, like, you know, we, we have to, there's some people out there like worship is everything. Right. And like, yes, of course. And, and we're not denying that, that, you know, a life of, of, of Christianity is the life of what we would call glorifying to God, right? And that is worship, right? That's very basic sense. But when we're talking about it, we're really meaning songs, congregational, or, songs. congregational yeah. or even personal, right? In terms of kind of the, the songs. But, you know, to go back to that, that lamentations idea, right? The lamenting. And there have been times where I had, I had said that to other songwriters, to other people who I've written well-known songs and I, and I would say, you know, what I miss in songwriting is lamenting, right? Like when you read the Psalms, you don't just get happy stuff and you don't just get sad stuff and you don't just get angry stuff and you don't just get joyful stuff, right? Like you get the whole gamut of the human emotional range, which makes the Psalm so beautiful, right? That's why I can you know, Ecclesiastes can be pretty tough, right? Even though it's probably one of my favorite texts because it's so everything is meaningless, right? Like just down and down and down and down. But when you get to Psalms, you get the whole range of emotion. But I often got pushback to say, well, no, no, no. Lamentations is private. Like you, you lament in private, you mourn in private and you you sing, you know, to God in, in joyful ways in, in public. And that always kind of like frustrated me, right? Like the idea that when we are struggling or suffering, we shouldn't do that together as a group, as a church, right? That that should be done in our own time. What kind of drew you to the point of, of, I mean, you recognize that before we had ever talked about it, but like, what kind of drew you to as a worship leader, someone who, I mean, honestly, your music is tied up, not completely, but to some degree, right? You have a livelihood on people listening to your music and flying you out paying you to come sing right and how many plays you get on spotify and the radio and the, so on and so forth so it, it can be a really hard thing to say well i'm gonna write music that may be lamenting knowing it may not get picked up on the radio right but what drew you to the point of going it's really worth it as a songwriter well i think that the thing was i never wanted i never pursued being on the radio like hmm. i was successful within my youtube universe um 
And, you know, I think like, I think Be All Right, um, you know, the song that that actually did go number one on on Christian radio um, in 2021 was kind of a lament. Yeah. And it it was, you know, the question it's it's this thing where I feel like a lot of people are nervous, like at least like my audience of Latin America for, for a long time was nervous and hesitant to question God. Hmm. If you question God, then, you know, if you like, he's just, so, you know, I mean, one of the, one of the craziest, and this is why I think, you know, taking these classes was so crucial and pivotal to my songwriting was that if, um, you know, the belief of like God works out all things for the good of those who love him and taking that verse, just that those words, packaging it up and saying, well, it'll all work out. Right. Like, you know, and I remember the professor saying that if, you know, if, if somebody had done something to his child, you know, like unthinkable. Yeah. And then you were to say, Hey, well, God works all out all things for the good of those who love him. He'd punch you in the face. <laughs> right. What he said. Right. And justifiably so. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Like, and he goes, and and so, you know, we got into the whole question of like, where does evil come from? And, ha- and that was a big thing. But, right. But like inside that conversation was how do Christians comfort each other? Hmm. And he was saying, telling a story about when a mother passed away while giving birth and then the son the, it was a, it was a pastor's wife and then the son grew up and felt guilty his whole life and they were just like well you know like if god allowed that to happen then it's a good thing hmm. it's yeah. like it's it's not a good thing right and so and so it was it was how do i like i don't necessarily even need to say something i'm yeah. just with you like I'm there to comfort in, a, in any way I can and let, and let the Holy Spirit actually comfort. And so when I was writing Be All Right, the first line of the second verse that like I added in, this, in the English version was, Father, you say everything is going to be all right. You, you say this. Yeah. But my circumstances do <laughs> not look like that. Right. Like, right. okay, so... So either you're right and I'm just like going to believe blindly or I'm an idiot or something's going to happen that I don't understand. Yeah. Truth. There's a truth that I don't understand. And so I'm I'm like, I'm kind of allowing people to maybe wrestle with this because like there are two opposing truths. Like I believe in God, but I also am sitting here looking at my bank account and saying, in March of 2020, there is no way I'm making it to April. Yeah. Yeah. And so the lament, you know, like start saying God, like, you know, I, I, you know, I love the line actually. It's like, you know, he's got the whole world in his hands. And I was thinking about that, that, that image. And I was, but I said, but my world's like, my world's made of sand. And then I was thinking about how many people feel like, they slip through the cracks and, 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 and they are not seen. They're right. not like, 
God, you might hold the bigger universe in your hands, but my life is insignificant. And so why would you do this? Yeah. What, what I love about that idea, right? If we think about lament as corporate worship, we are actually saying, we see you, right? Those who feel in a moment that they are slipping through the fingers, right? Like those who are, are, yeah, struggling, right? The the lament actually helps them be seen. And that's why I think it was so like surprising that the song was successful because like, you know, going back to ask you ask, why am I worried about if I write something like a lament, will it not land correctly? I, I, I definitely think that if I'm too lamenty and I'm not cre- and I'm not poetic enough with it, yeah, that people, you know, like you have to package it in a way that someone goes, that's how I feel. Right. And like, that's the, that's the purpose of music is, you know, you, you hear a song and you're like, man, that perfectly articulates how I feel with a great melody. (laughs) Right. Right. And that's, what was so crazy about this because, you know, the reason I believe be all right to lament is because I have had countless people tell me that they've lost their children. They've had, um, you know, diagnosis of, of a tumor of different sicknesses and they go, I listen to this song every day. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's like it reaches them, but it also like, and that's the thing about like, what's so funny about the Psalms, like everything's terrible. You've abandoned me, but you will be just, and yeah. you will lift me up. And right. there's like turnaround and, you know, to give people hope and say, Hey, it's okay for you to feel everything you're feeling. And it's not like, and I, I love, I think you would talk to me about this, that like, there is no faith without doubt. Right. Right. And without a doubt. Yeah. Is, is allowing people to just be real. Mm-hmm. Like I remember I called somebody one time, a very important person in my life and told them I was doubting. And they basically told me to be quiet. <laughs> Oh gosh. (laughs) And I was like, okay, they were the wrong person to call or it was the wrong time. Like they were not in the headspace to to answer it, but I, but you know, that's the, that I just want to give permission for people to say, God, things are not working out. Yeah. And it's interesting because nowhere scripturally nor even theologically are we driven to the point of saying that we have to pretend things are okay right like that we have to act as if everything is all right you know i think i love the the romans passage that i think so many people misunderstand because of this like romans road to salvation thing right i got in trouble once cuz i was teaching a class you know, a hermeneutics class. I was like, there is no such thing as Romans road to salvation. I was going off on a tangent about how it's just a very poor look at Romans and what Romans is trying to do. And one of my students like raised a hand and said, um, uh, my other professor was just teaching us that in an evangelism class and how to use that. And I said, let's not talk about that. Uh, let's just ignore it. Right. Like, but, but th- this passage about 
confessing with your mouth and having faith, right? You will be saved. This very future oriented reality is in a time when the Christian church in Rome is being persecuted for proclaiming Jesus is Lord rather than Caesar is Lord, right? And Paul quite literally tells them and encourages them. They're already Christians. It's not a salvation passage, right? They already are followers of Christ. And he's encouraging them to continue to say the very thing that could get them killed, right? This proclamation that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. And, and, and he gives this future hope, right? It's not a, everything's going to be okay today, right? Like, it's like a, actually things might really suck today. And some of you might die. But there's a reality in which by doing what we do as people of God, everything is going to work out. Salvation is going to come to you and your household if we continue on this path. But that's a really hard message, I think, because like you said, you can't say that to someone who's suffering in the moment. Don't worry. Maybe in 20 years, it's going to be okay, right? Like that's, you probably get punched in the face rather than recognizing there's also something else to this story of being okay with for a moment, like you said, with doubt, being okay with suffering, like okay in the sense of like accepting the fact that we do suffer, right? Rather than try to push it off, rather than try to say it's all it's all gonna be okay. Um, you know, don't worry about it. God's gonna work it together for the good. To actually sit down and go, hey, it's okay to feel that. It's okay to wrestle with that emotion and just hold on to it for a moment and see what God is doing inside of that emotion. Right. Well, that, like that, that ultimate truth of that, like God is sovereign and you know, it's the now, not yet. Right. The, the, right. the idea that is like impossible for a human mind to understand that God reigns on earth has defeated the enemy, but he's still prowling. Right still here to kill still and destroy and so so how do we you know so, so so the same thing with with suffering is that like it's not comforting if somebody just goes hey i know that you just lost a family member but like you'll see him again right <laughs> right like i just lost my grandpa yeah and i'm you know when i think of the joy that he has of no more pain, no more suffering in his, in his body and being with God. That's my dog. (laughs) Perfect Um, timing for him, right? Being with God. But I, I am, um, I regret the times I didn't spend with him. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there's, there's truth in both of those. And so, I think, you know, that's where you, you know, you don't like, you say, Hey, you know what? Let me get, let me get my dog. <laughs> Go for it, man. Oh, the, oh, the joys of having a dog. Um, I know. Right. But, but to, to your point, like there's, there's a sense theologically of living with intention, right? Like whether we call it now and not yet, Right. Or just even recognizing that there is a tension in the reality of Paul's letters himself to say, I'm both suffering and everything's okay. Like being able to hold that tension is so freeing to so many people who have been told, like, 
like you, like you can't doubt, right? Like there's no way you just have to stop, right? Or, or in some experience, especially in my early twenties, when I was going through what I can only describe as like a dark night of the soul or, or something of that nature, the absolute worst thing someone could ever do to help me out was quote scripture to me. Cause I'm like, I already know that, right? I've, I've read it. I've got degrees in it. So don't quote the thing that I've spent my life studying up to that point to tell me that this is like some magic fix to make my struggles or to make my pain go away. Right. Because in reality that only ever made things worse. Right. It only actually hurt worse because there was very few Christians who were willing to say, yeah, it's okay to feel that. Right. It, it may suck. And I'll sit down with you and I'll, and I'll struggle with that through you uh, and not try to like, here's a bandaid. Now can we smile and, and move on? Right. Yeah. And, and, and I can just think of people I love that <laughs> don't handle those conversations very well. And, you know, I, I think the church is missing out on engaging people who do have those questions. And I think the thing is like the wisdom and experience you have and other professors to say, Hey, there's not necessarily a good answer. Yeah. Like there's not one that's going to satisfy all of your curiosity because, you know, we want to talk about where evil comes from. That's a long conversation yeah, with no and, real answer. And there are multiple theories and beliefs right. and inside the Christian church. So, you know, I, I, I think going back that it just like allowing people validating their doubt or validating their pain is a vital part of us as, as the church body. Yeah. Hey, I acknowledge that, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. And at some point, like, you know, you, some things you don't question when you're a kid and you grow up with a pretty great childhood. Yeah. I didn't lose anybody. And so I just, you know, I don't question that we all, you know, you go to heaven if you, you know, and then my grandfather passes away. And now it's like, wait, wait, wait. Now this is like actually applicable in my life at this point. Mm, yeah. Where is my grandfather? What happened? Will I see him again? Right. And my sister is crying and she goes, what if everything is just, what if we just die? Yeah, right. right. You know, and so validating that and saying, you know, it, it, like. It's a real concern. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and that faith is faith. Yeah. Is believing in things unseen. It's not saying, hey, I have concrete evidence that let me show you mathematically that this is true. Yeah. It's, I believe there is enough evidence that I've seen in my life to persuade me. And that's a hard, that's a really hard thing to communicate. Well, it, it's dear, like, so in a previous podcast, I, I spoke with another friend who had kind of like talked about his journey of deconstruction. and one of the things that often kind of happens in deconstruction is there are a lot of people who ask really tough questions, oftentimes with things like evil or doubt, or, you know, uh, often, you know, especially if you come from a really fundamentalist background about scripture and inerrancy, 
asking, is it true? Right. And finding contradictions in scripture, not knowing how to handle it. Right. Like confronted with all these questions. And then what happens for us is if we don't validate that those are real concerns or questions, we end up just creating kind of a further frustration, a further anger, a further pushing away. And I mean, I think about that with worship music all the time in terms of people who come to our churches who are struggling or who, who might be angry, right. Who might, you know, for me, you know, I've, I've caught myself multiple times in the past couple of weeks being so angry at what is happening in the Ukraine. And, and in some degrees I, I go, well, it's a righteous anger. Right. But then at the same time, I also go, but I'm not supposed to be angry. Right. Like there's that, there's that inherent tension, right. Of like being angry, seeing these pictures of, of kids crying, leaving their homeland of leaving their, their dads and knowing it's just because why, why would you not want to be angry at that? Well, well, both and right. I mean, the reality is the fact that I'm angry at people who are causing this, but then also trying to recognize that God loves that person too. Right. Like it's, it's, there's such a, such a tension. Yeah, that's, that's really hard. It is. It's, <laughs> it's incredibly hard, right? Because like I, I was talking to somebody yesterday or the day before, and I, I, they're from Venezuela. And I was saying what I think someone should do. <laughs> right. Right. The, uh, unelected leader and they were like well you're a christian and i told them mm. well, I'm, I'm a christian process <laughs> like <laughs> right. look you give me that option i'll press the button yeah it's it's and it's hard i mean that's that's where like the rubber meets the road with some of our kind of christian spirituality and trying to deal with the tension of jesus saying love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you right like like, and, and the same time, Jesus going into the temple and being angry and, and flipping tables, of course, he never hurt anyone, at least to our record, right? Like, but there is this undeniable tension that can be lost in our, our songwriting and our corporate worship and our corporate understanding that tends to marginalize people and leave people out, Right. I think you and I, we talked about this once and, and especially with your, the way in which that you have spent a lot of time in underrepresented population groups in America, particularly. And, but then also going to, like you said, I know you still do right. Play at churches where it's just you and acoustic guitar. It's a small church. It's not, you know, as something that you value. Um, like when we think about kind of these how diverse the church is and the diverse diversity of what the church is going through as a people. How do we think about kind of worship that doesn't leave people out? Right. Hmm. Maybe that's a question that is just to ponder at the moment. Yeah, because you know, it's, 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 it is hard when you are, you know, you try to hit everything. Yeah. And you tend to miss everything. Right. But when, you know, I think it was uh, Leonard Sweet um, talking to us about like, when you go for the specific, you can hit the universal. Hmm. 
Yeah. And when you're, when you're, you know, when you're preaching or when you're writing a song and you say, Hey, I want the world to sing this. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you tend to write something that's too general. Yeah. And too big. But like, you know, when you go into one aspect of God, you know, I mean, they're all related. They're all connected. They're all so deep that you can't understand them. You know, I, th- I, I think my, the most frustrating class was with Chris Green. And we read a book about just how you can't, the entire thing I couldn't understand is with the Archbishop of Canterbury or whatever. It's a good thing he's not hosting with me today. But, I let him so he could he could come back at you and tell you yeah. why you're wrong in that, oh. right? Oh, I wouldn't. <laughs> oh, I couldn't argue with this guy. <laughs> he, he wrote. He writes. He, I would never even want to speak English again if, if I was <laughs> arguing with that guy. But but the thing was, his point was that you cannot describe God. Yeah. Is that anything you say is good? It's not even. It's not comparable. Yeah. Like you say, and I was like, well, okay, well, if God's infinite, well, no, God's super infinite. There's not even a word that would actually describe how infinite God is. And it was like starting to, it was like, wait, this doesn't make sense, but he's infinite. Yeah. He's like, no, you're just like, you're missing the point. Your human mind cannot. Right. You know, and, and so going back to that, you, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to, focus in on one aspect of, of who God is. And just this, like, you know, even if I understand a 10th of a 10th of a 10th of a 10th to the billionth degree, you know, just any little drop of who God is like that will reach other people. Hmm, yeah. But it, it has to be authentic. It has to be authentic and real. And I can't try to write to the African-American community if I haven't spent time with them. Right. I can't try to write to the Latino community if I haven't spent time with them. I have. That's why I write about eating together all the time. Right. <laughs> I sing Mi Casa Tu Casa. And, 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 I, and I talk about having coffee together because everywhere I've gone, they've invited me in for coffee. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's different beautiful aspects and reflections of who God is in our different cultures. And, you know, I think like, towards japan asia like just the honor like yeah we, our honor system is so different in the united states and in right. Latin, compared to uh japan and and i and i think that like as you write in order to not leave people out you, you know you have to really like it has to be an individual who understands this culture yeah and and how that res- that what how that can is connected to god Right. And so when I think of like, when I think of Latin America, I think of, I think I've learned a beautiful aspect of God inviting us to his table. Hmm. Yeah. You know, maybe that's a really cool part of Jewish culture. But, and, you know, when I think of Japanese culture, I think of honor, like God, we honor you because of who you are. Yeah. And, 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 and I think to, to your point, like, one of the things that, I mean, we think about the, the spectrum of, of Christian worship music as two white dudes in their 30s, right? And we're two white dudes in our 30s. Yeah, that thing. Um, 
I still have that like baby brain fog where I'm not sleeping enough to words and formulate and things, uh, which is not good with trying to finish my dissertation. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that works. But um, to, your, to your point, like there's only so far that we can even think about worship, which is which is scary for you know you and, and the reality of what your career is, but also applicable to me in my career, recognizing that my theological writing is so contextual to me and my space. I might have learned some things from various things that I've done that are kind of outside of my own culture, but there is a missing. And I know that we talked about this at one point, especially, right. Cause you sing a lot in Spanish. You're doing more in English now, but a lot in Spanish. Um, but I remember there was a point and I won't name names, but I remember there's a point that you were frustrated that people who were winning awards for Spanish music were all non-Spanish speaking or Spanish speaking, but non-Spanish people, right? Non-Latin Americans winning these awards that were about Latin American worship music, because mm-hmm. there was a point in which you even kind of mentioned this idea, this reality of like, but they, they don't know, they, they don't know how to sing from their own context, right? Or from that context. Like, wh- how do you feel about that, especially kind of in that tension that you, you engage with, especially as being someone who has done a lot of singing in Spanish? I think that, you know, first of all, I've got to say that I don't think it was their intention. But, you know, I think intentions don't, don't justify what happens. Right. And so, you know, I don't think any of these people want to colonize an industry. But when an American group translates a song and now they're the best songwriters and the best this and best that in a different country, different language, when they hired somebody to, tr- to translate it. Right. That's not like, I mean, you wouldn't give a Pulitzer Prize in Spanish to a translation of an English book. Right. You would give it to the original. And so they win the original and that's great. But I think, you know, you just, you, it's not validating to any Latin artist, like Spanish speaking artist to feel like, Hey, I will never be able to compete with the money, prestige, and um, fame, yeah, is this bigger and culture? And Which so, is funny because those are the three things that we often hear in scripture as, you know, mammon, right? Money and fame and power, yeah. right? Like these things and, that and are and like more. You know, I'm not. I'm. I'm. It's resources. Yeah, like you know, I don't what these people do with their stuff. I don't know. Right. Like, you know, I want to record an album. It's expensive. Yeah. And I want to record it in my language. And, and, you know, I, I think that in order to be diverse, it's not about, Hey, let's get someone with a different skin tone. It's how do I really celebrate who you are? Hmm. You know, I'm not going to, invite you to the table, put you at the end. And, you know, well, I have a multicultural friends group. Yeah. Like I want you next to me. Yeah. I want to honor you. 
and that's where you know I feel a little guilty in some context of I won the Spanish Dove Award and I'm not Latino, I'm not Spanish native. Right. But where I feel peace is that I am part of the Latin community. Yeah. Like I had a meeting last night with all Spanish speakers. And so I'm engaging in it. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between colonizing and, you know, in, engaging with people is that colonizes, colonizing is like, I'm taking what you have. Yeah. And, and I'm giving you what you have to have, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And engaging is saying, hey, I want to learn. Like, I want to be part of what you're doing. And I want to just, I want to see what God is doing in it. And I want to, I want to participate. Yeah. And so, and so that's where I, I just encourage people participate with others. Hmm. Don't, don't force them to conform to how you think it should be done. But I mean, there's a lot of things I wish that Latin America would do differently. There's a lot of things I wish that the white Anglo-Saxon church would do differently. Yeah. But I, I do believe that there's things you can learn from both yep. from, and from others as well. That, that, and that's the point where I, I think that we're all learning more about God in, from different angles. Yeah. It's, it's again, I mean, to go back to it again, it's, it's that tension, right? Like, I think anytime that we exist in a space where that tension doesn't exist, we have to question whether or not we're in the right space, right? Because we've, we've all of these conversations, I mean, even just the idea of what is worship, how do we participate in it? How do we think about it amongst other cultures? How do we listen to other cultures, right? Like it's a continual tension that we can often, because it's uncomfortable to be in that tension, it's uncomfortable to deal with it. We can just often say, well, this is what it is. Here's how we're going to do it. And this is just the right way instead of listening, right? I think what was so crazy was that in that same class that I took was, and, it, and, it, and it's very pertinent to this conversation because I live in the South where Christianity is a culture. Yeah. Not just like a, it's not a relationship necessarily. It's not just religion. It is like everyone would say, I grew up in church. I know these things and I behave in a certain way because right. that is what's expected of me. Yeah. And, and in class, I remember I asked the professor, is Job the oldest book of the Bible? And he goes, no, there's no reason to believe that. Why do you think that? <laughs> well, my mama told me, <laughs> well, my, right. my, my dad had told me that well, mama said, yeah. And so yeah. I was like, wait, that, you know, you can't tell me that my dad's wrong, <laughs> but, but the truth was, I don't even know where my dad got that information. Right. And he's probably just telling me something he, someone told him. Right. And so in order to really like write better songs and, and worship in spirit and in truth, it's about like, you know, laying down some of my held beliefs to say, Hey, what if I'm wrong? Yeah. What if I'm not yeah. worshiping God correctly? Because what I'm really doing is like, you know, it's the, the easiest one is, Hey, I'm making it about me, but yeah. like, you know, just 
just allowing those those conversations to happen um, is, is really important in the Christian community. Yeah, the, the pursuit of truth is always going to bring us to a place of recognizing our own wrongfulness, right? And that's very uncomfortable within Christianity to recognize where we've been wrong because of because we build often our faith upon these belief structures. Um, you know, I think, you know, point which, with is, Job. which is the sand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, cause, cause the professor asked me, what does that have to do with your salvation? Right. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. And, and it's, but it's, it's kind of uncomfortable, right? Like it's uncomfortable to, you know, I, I think for so many people, things like did Moses write the first five books of the Bible? And that just is like, once you start to actually kind of process it and you start to think about it, you're like, that makes zero sense, actually. Right. And, and where some groups may know that that's uncomfortable, right? That's a kind of tension we don't want to live in. We don't want to live in a tension of trying to recognize what this thing is that we are engaging with, that we believe, that we kind of follow, Right. And what I love about kind of the idea of what music can do for us is it can help ease that tension or at least make us kind of more ready to engage with the tension. Maybe is the right way to say it, right? Because when we do sing, when we do corporately sing a song about lament or we corporately sing a song about beauty, about God's grace, about whatever it is, we can actually come together and kind of, it may feel uncomfortable at first right? It may feel kind of odd at first, but when that kind of song portrays that reality and we're doing it with someone next to us who might be of a different political persuasion or, you know what I mean, might have a different opinion on guns or whatever it is, there is something about, it's almost, it's almost that idea like you were talking about sitting down at the table and having a conversation over a meal typically allows us to have more open conversations than if I were just to like walk up to you and be like, Evan, what do you think about guns? And then we just start fighting about things. Right. But that idea of like singing a song that is lament next to someone who is suffering, even when I'm not provides a space for that, those conversations to begin. Right. Yeah. And I, and that's why it has to be done in a poetic way hmm. because in order to avoid you know, conflict because it's, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to instigate, right. Trying to, um, bring up conversation and, and remind people of truth. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, I, I do believe truth is pursuable. And so if, if I can find some truth, I mean, and, and, you know, this is a truth that someone might not be like, oh, well, that's, that's truth. But for me, the truth and be all right was I can have doubt. Yeah. I can lay my doubts before God. And I can say, you said this was going to be fine. <laughs> right. 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 You know? And that's my anger. And that's my reclamo. That's my, my question. Yeah. Why isn't it right? Yeah. And, you know, so, so bringing it into people with other perspectives and other beliefs like guns, politics, whatever, you know, I don't think any of us believe it's right. 
like the world is right. And this is Hmm. the best optimal version. Yeah. You know, and so I think that it has to be done in a tactful and, and, and I think that's what, what is so important about like, you can speak truth to people, but if you don't have tact, they won't listen. Yeah, it's it's the if anyone's listened to the podcast about the rise and fall of Mars Hill, right? Like it's that that what happens when you use this kind of brashness, this anger, this kind of thing to try and give a message like, no, 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 you can't question this because you are this and this is wrong. And like we don't bring people along with us. We we do the same thing that we find in politics, right? We alienate and accuse the other rather than what you're saying, which I think is beautiful, right? Poetically bringing people to the table, poetically creating space for that conversation to exist that, that may not otherwise exist. Right. And I think good worship music does this, right? Like good worship music, as you're saying, helps people have questions, have conversations, think about God in different ways and allow us to, to ponder on the nature and the glory of God. Right. Well, and when you were like, when you write a song that helps someone understand the vastness of who God is, the greatness of who God is and how small they are in perspective, it helps them under like put in perspective their issues and the issues they have with their brother. And I think that's a really important part in like what's so crazy about this conversation is like theology can be this amazing beautiful long dissertation it can also be the most subtle truth yeah and you know i i i always think back to what you know what's the most important thing about theology what and and what i heard in seminary was what you believe about God is the most important thing about uh, your theology. If you believe Mm. God is angry, you won't come to him. If you believe God is a loving father, you would treat him as a loving father. If you believe that God is good, if you believe. And so the more that I can reveal truth about God in, in music, the more I can help correct my own theology as I study it and other people's theology. And I think that's the thing is that a lot of us are getting theology from songs today. Yeah, very much. And, and so if, you know, to the point of, I think you were making in the beginning was why is it so important for people to study was that I can't give from an empty well. Yeah. And I can't like, if I'm not reading the word, and I loved, I mean, I took one, um, what is it called? Uh, um, one class and, and it was the, the four like legs of theology were like, or of Christian. The, re- the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Well, it was like reason. Oh, okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, you use your brain. You're not supposed to just check it out at right. the door is the Holy Spirit you know, and that's like, that's where, you know, these, these things are not opposed, right? There is tradition. So I'm not going to go around and just flip every, the script on everything everyone's ever said. Right. Right. And then for scripture, uh, 
was scri- is scripture. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. if I'm not engaging in all four of those as a songwriter, if I'm not questioning all everything based on that, I mean, one, if I, I can do everything except for the Holy spirit and it will feel stale. Yeah. I can do everything except for reason. And you, and you will be like, you didn't even try. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. I, I think, you know, to that kind of Wesleyan quadrilateral, right. Holy spirit experience kind of as that thing, right. All these things are in conversation all the time. And you know, even teaching a class and I, I was just, I just finished teaching on kind of our introduction. How do we create our theology? How does it kind of get crafted? You know, so many, so many of us want to say scripture is the number one place. That's where all of our theology comes from, but then they don't realize, wait a second. Actually, my understanding of scripture was given to me by my tradition. And then I say, well, scripture is the number one place, but actually it was just my traditions telling me what, uh, what scripture has to say these symbols on a page yeah right like so we miss that these are in conversation all the time and if there's anything kind of as a theme from you know our podcast this time is that there is that reality of kind of that constant conversation that constant tension that constant kind of moving like thinking and re-engaging and recognizing that you know if there's a reason why there's supposed to be a new song right (laughs) using that kind of biblical language of sing a new song it's because we are re-engaging. It's because we are taking what we did sing and we recognize how that affected our community and whether or not that experience is a good holy moment, if that was a scripturally holy moment, if it engaged our minds and our, our whole selves, or if it created something out of our community that wasn't good and we need to sing a new song yet again, right? And have those conversations. But Evan, I know um, you've got to go. Uh, cause you know, it only took us, it only took me almost three full seasons of this podcast, to even get you on the podcast as many texts as I've texted you about, Hey, stop not doing it. it right. It did. Eventually it did. Uh, so I appreciate you, um, you know, little, little self marketing here, tell people how they can find any of your stuff if they are not already familiar with you. Yeah, well, you can find my stuff on evancraftmusic.com on all the streaming platforms, just Evan Craft. Um, and I'm on almost every social media outlet. So and that's where they can all go to tell you that you were wrong about what you thought, right? Yeah, the next yeah, one perfect. will be about how I wish social media, the next podcast will be about how I wish social media didn't exist. Or it can exist and just not require me to ever post. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> or engage with it, right? Like yeah. let someone else do all of it for yeah. Point, yes. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, it's it's a I don't believe in necessary evils, but if I did, that would probably be the closest thing to it at this point, right? I wish we could get rid of it completely, but then this podcast wouldn't get out to anyone. So what's the point? I just want to say thank you, Professor Aaron, um, for your endless pursuit of truth and your humility. And confusing the crap out of people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Try, trying, creating the, the un, helping untangle the web. Yeah, I appreciate that, Evan. Sometimes I do. You to, sometimes you have to pull out another web to untangle it. Yeah, eventually we'll get it to the string. Yeah. Right. Hey, uh, I appreciate you. I love you, dude. Thanks okay. for doing this. And uh, we'll be back soon. Come visit me. I, I will. I, I will do my best. All right. <laughs>